Good morning, Seabreeze. It's good to see everyone today. We have been looking for the past seven weeks in this series on how to experience God's peace in the middle of whatever pressure we're facing in life. And our guide has been the New Testament book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter written to the church in Philippi. And he is writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome, awaiting a trial that determines whether or not he lives or dies. This is hardly a situation that you would expect to be conducive to writing about peace. And I want you to listen to the primary emotion that Paul mentions in this letter. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And then he gets news that uh, some enemies are trying to take advantage of the fact of his imprisonment. And so in verse 18, he says, But does, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Then in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The idea is I already have joy, but if you really want to take it over the top for me, just work together as a church, and my joy will have no bounds. And then at the thought of his work potentially being wasted, in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Finally means, let me sum it all up this way. So Paul over and over again says, I'm full of joy and I want you to rejoice. I'm happy. I want you to be at peace. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. Clearly, the joy is not coming from his situation. It's coming from the fact that he is at peace with God. Joy is the emotional indicator that we are at peace with God. Now, if Paul can be at peace and full of joy in the dark and cold and smelly confines of a Roman prison, this was not a modern prison cell, but if he can find peace in God and joy in that context, it must be possible for us to experience God's peace and the joy that accompanies it in the middle of whatever pressure we're facing right now. The big question is how. How did Paul do this? How how does he experience peace and joy in the middle of this? Well, in this series, we've been looking at the significant truths that Paul communicates that we need to understand in order to experience God's peace. But honestly, it's a pretty big step to go from understanding these ideas to actually experiencing and living in the middle of the pressure with a sense of peace. So in chapter 4, the last chapter of this letter, Paul really gets very practical and he tells us two significant secrets about how to gain traction with peace and the joy that follows it. Two secrets. Secret number one deals with what what we're thinking about how we are thinking. And secret number two is what we are expecting. We're going to deal with the thinking part this week, and then we're going to wrap up this series next week to talk about the expecting part. But today, what are you thinking? Every day when we wake up, we begin to think. In fact, we've actually been thinking through the night. We've been dreaming, but we're kind of along for the ride on that one. We're really not controlling our thoughts. But as soon as we wake up and become alert, we begin to grab a hold of our thoughts and we begin to direct them. And it is these thoughts, not our circumstances, that will determine whether this day we will enter into God's peace and joy or whether we won't. It's not the circumstances, but our thinking that will determine that. 
Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. He says this again. This is one of the themes he's talking about. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. I mean, he's saying it throughout the Bible, throughout the letter here, but he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is telling us what he is doing, and he's saying, I want you to put this into practice so the God of peace will be with you. But he starts by giving three commands, three things that we should do. Number one, he says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. In case you missed it, he says, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Command number two is, let your gentleness be evident to everyone. And number three is, do not be anxious about anything. So rejoice, be gentle and kind in the way you treat people, and don't worry. Those three. But how do you do that? If you've tried to do one or more of these, you've found that they can be pretty difficult to pull off. In fact, it's, it's rather impossible just to simply decide, you know what, today I'm not going to worry. And then three minutes later, I'm worrying again. I thought I decided I wasn't going to worry. Or I, I'm going I'm to be joyful. And then something happens. I'm not joyful anymore. It's very difficult just to decide to do this. Or, or you're going to be kind. I'm going to be really gentle and kind with people. And then someone does something really irritating. And, well, I'm not kind anymore. It's, it's very hard to, to just simply decide to do these things. And the reason is that there are thoughts that are standing in opposition to every one of these three. You see, you, you can't feel joy without replacing sad thoughts with joyful thoughts. And you can't be gentle without thinking gentle thoughts instead of angry thoughts. And we worry because we're thinking worried thoughts. It's these thoughts that are continually causing us problems. Behind everything we feel and everything we do are thoughts that support both what we feel and what we do. Now, it's not just one thought per day or one thought per feeling. You know, if, if I just had one sad thought a day, well, I might be able to handle that. I, I could respond with one joyful thought, and then I'd be joyful the rest of the day. And then all I'd have to do is do the same thing with my one harsh thought and my one worried thought, and then I'd be at peace for the rest of the day. But we have more than just three thoughts a day. We have more than just one sad thought and one harsh thought, angry thought, and one worried thought. We have a lot of thoughts. In fact, in the past 15 years, the advance of brain science uh, has helped us understand how many thoughts we really have. Neuroscientists now estimate that the average person thinks about 50,000 thoughts per day. That's a lot of thoughts. Now, of course... A brain scan can't tell us how many of those 50,000 thoughts are sad thoughts or angry thoughts or worried thoughts or even other kinds of thoughts. But with that many thoughts in a given day, 
It would be reasonable to, to assume, depending on the kind of day we're having, that we quite possibly might be having hundreds and maybe thousands of sad, sad thoughts and angry thoughts and worried thoughts. And those thoughts have tremendous power. Scientists can now demonstrate that every thought we have sends electrical and chemical signals through, throughout our brain and ultimately affects every single cell in our body. I mean, our thoughts can actually influence our sleep and, and our pulse and our digestion and, and all kinds of other bodily functions. So we don't just kind of think over here and then live over here. No, we think and our life flows out of what we think. Our thoughts really matter. They affect everything. So long before the advances of brain science, God inspired Paul to write these words. We just read them, but I want to focus on verse 8. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Focus your mind on those things. What he's saying is th this is how you choose joy instead of sadness and gentleness instead of anger and peace instead of worry. You can't just choose those things. You, you need to think about these things, and then that will be the result. Many of us use a to-do list throughout the day and throughout the week to focus our efforts on the things that we, we, we have determined that we really need to get done on a daily basis. Without a to-do list, you know, our efforts and our activities can kind of be scattered all over the place. So we use a to-do list to kind of focus ourselves on these are the important things that we really have to get done. Well, we really need to think of this. This really is God's to-think list. These are the things that we really have to think about. Out of all the 50,000 thoughts in a given day, out of all the different things you're thinking, out of all the activities of your mind, these are the things that you really need to focus on. Think on these things. Its purpose, uh, this list, the purpose of it is to focus our mind around the important things that will shape what we feel and then what we say and what we do. Because we can't go from where our mind is right now straight to peace. We've got to start with the building blocks of peace. We have to choose to think about these things. You see, one chosen thought has tremendous power. Has tremendous power. Scientists can see the immediate result on a brain scan whenever they direct subjects who are hooked up to those brain scans to think about certain things. They don't just see one thought fire. What they see is a cascade of thoughts based on just that one initial thought. Now, we don't know. They can't count how many, but we know it's, it's a multiplying effect. If you just think one, th if you direct yourself to think one thought, that multiplies into an avalanche of thoughts. So what if, say, for example, you initiated, maybe today you initiated just five or ten thoughts from the list that we just read. That might generate a, an avalanche of hundreds, maybe even thousands of good thoughts. Now, honestly, up against 50,000 thoughts, it still seems like it's not going to really improve you much. But what if it just improved your peace and your joy, maybe just by 10%? Wouldn't that be worth Five thoughts or ten thoughts? Wouldn't that be worth that effort? I think so. That can make a significant difference in your day and eventually in your life. But, you know, even more important than the effect of choosing to think five or ten thoughts from this list 
Even more important than that would be the impact that it would have on your thought muscle over time. Our thought muscle is the ability that we have to actually control our thoughts. We have a thought muscle. I don't know if you knew this. That This verse makes it clear that we really do have a thought muscle. That's why it says, think about such things. Now, if God's going to say that in the pages of Scripture, His understanding is we actually can. We don't have to let our minds just kind of go wherever. We really can think about such things. We, we have the ability, the, the muscle, the strength to not think about this and think about this instead. We have a thought muscle. But like any muscle, if we don't use it, it atrophies, and we're not even aware that it's there. It takes training to build the strength of a muscle. The same thing is with our thought muscle. Without training, without training, our minds think very similar to the way dogs walk. You know, if you take a dog off a leash who's not trained, do they walk in a straight line to wherever the destination is? No, people do that. Dogs don't do that. You take a dog off a leash and, hmm, and over there we get something, then we smell something here, and it's got to stay here and check this out, and then they hear something over here. That's the way our minds work if we don't put them on a leash and if we don't train them. I mean, we wake up in a given day and we see something and well, we think about that and then we hear something and we think about that and then we remember something and we think about that and then we, someone cuts us off and we think about some other things in traffic and then and we just are, we just, our minds are just going everywhere. And we can just suddenly change all, we're just like dogs without a leash. We're all over the place. In fact, I know that in the past 15 minutes, your mind has been all over the place <laughs> since I began to speak. You, some of you have been at work you know, been thinking about some stuff at work. Some of you have been planning lunch. Uh, some of you have been at the beach, maybe reminiscing the time you spent yesterday or thinking about what you plan to do this afternoon. I, I would guess that some of you have actually counted the number of cracks in the word peace. Now, I'm not saying do that. I don't know how many there are. It's not a puzzle. But I just know this. As a public speaker, my challenge is to, to keep you focused because you have minds like mine that are just all over the place. So let me show you a picture of my two granddaughters. This is Millie, and this is Clara. There's absolutely no point to showing you this picture. I just wanted to focus <laughs> your attention for just a brief moment, okay? I know that some of you are looking up, what? What's the story? What do you say? What's happening with the grand? Nothing. I now have your attention, and that was the only point behind that. You see, like any muscle, the thought muscle is strengthened by exercise. You have to use it. And verse 8 of Philippians 4 is a list of the exercises to use to strengthen your thought muscle. So we're going to go through these six exercises now. Exercise number one, think about whatever is true. That takes work. Think about whatever is true. Next to each of these words, I've got a, a brief question to ask so that you can maybe understand a little more what this means. The question here is, what does God say about what I'm thinking right now? Is it true or is it false? Now, this is the number one thing on the thought list because it's the most important one. If, if we think false thoughts, everything we do and everything we feel from that point on begins to, to cause damage and unravel things. I mean, just imagine it in your work environment. If, 
if someone doesn't know how to do something and they're, they're not thinking correctly, then the, the business is hurt and damaged. They've got to understand the truth about whatever product you're making or the service you're offering in order to move the company forward. When, whenever we get into unreality or falsehood, damage always follows. So we need to think about whatever is true. The problem is we tend to think thoughts based on the thoughts that we've heard and we still hear. Thoughts that we've heard growing up, we just kind of absorb those from our environment. We think the thoughts that our friends have said and we've talked together with them about, or we think the thoughts that are present in some of the movies that we really like, or we think the thoughts that are communicated to us through the TV shows that we watch or through the work environment that we're in. Every time we, we interact with anybody or anything in this world, we are encountering thoughts. And the cumulative effect of all those thoughts is we just begin to think them without ever choosing, you know, I'm going to accept that thought. I'm going to reject this thought. We just kind of, they just leak into our minds, and we just start thinking based on our environment. Now, what we rarely do is stop to think about whether these thoughts are true or not. In fact, we rarely even think about what we are thinking about. I mean, it's just kind of in the background, like breathing. I mean, we're all breathing, and no one's thinking, breathe. Breathe. It's just happening. Same thing is true with our thoughts. We're, we're rarely aware of what, what's going through our mind right now. It's just kind of in the background. So what this means is that it is very, very common for us to think thoughts and then feel emotions and do things that simply aren't based on truth. They're just based on what we've always thought or what people around us have always thought. So the question is not, what do I think or feel is true, but what does God say is true? When a person decides to follow Jesus Christ, one of the big parts of that decision is they decide to rewire their minds by what God says in his word, not what family said growing up, not what friends have said growing up, not what the culture says, but what God actually says is true. Recently, I was beating myself up over how poorly I had responded to a particular personal challenge. And, and I had a thought ca cascade that went with it, and my thought cascade was full of thoughts like these. And I'll just mention three of them that were just, when I stopped and thought, what am I thinking? What are the phrases that I'm thinking? These are three that were pretty predominant. I was thinking, you know, it's hopeless. This challenge is hopeless. I was also thinking, I can't, I can't do it. I, I've tried to respond differently to this, and I just I keep not responding right. I just can't do it. Another thought I had was, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to change. I've been working on this for a long time, and I, I keep responding wrongly. So three thoughts. It's hopeless. I can't do it. I'll never change. That's what I was thinking. And not only was I thinking that, I was feeling that. And if you're American, what you feel is the truest thing you can think about yourself, Right? I mean, we, we feel something, and it's just automatically assumed, well, that must be true. So I was thinking these things. I was feeling these things. But let me ask you, were those, were those three statements true? Well, just a few weeks ago, we talked about Philippians 2.13. In part, that's what this verse says. It says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When a person decides to follow Jesus, God takes residence in the form of the Holy Spirit inside an individual, and, and he goes to work. This verse is saying he goes to work to give you the want to for things that are right and good that you don't even want to do right now. And he also goes to work to give you the can do, the ability to actually do those things. So let's measure my thoughts based on this verse. 
God is at work in me. So is it hopeless? No. It's far from hopeless. You know, the one who created heaven and earth is, is resonant inside of me. I am far from hopeless. Can I, can I do it? Well, maybe I can't. But God's power at work in me can accomplish all kinds of stuff. And will I never change? No. Do you think God takes residence inside a person and says, yeah, I'm okay with just the baseline life they're living. I, I don't want to change them at all. No, that's not what God's doing inside of me or inside of you if you follow Jesus Christ. I will be a different person in five years because God's inside of me. So everything I was thinking, and more importantly, everything I was feeling, was just not true. And when I began to line the truth up, I was able to then begin to think, no, this is the truth. Just saying these things helps to get you out of the falsehood. So the first step, if if you're new to all this idea, is just, just start thinking about what you're thinking about. Start there. Pause. Especially if you're feeling a negative emotion. Treat those negative emotions kind of like the red light on the dash of your car. You know, you don't just keep on driving. You, know, you go to a mechanic, you pull over the side of the road, and the purpose is to pop the hood open and see what's going on inside here that's driving this. The same thing is for negative emotions. You feel negative emotions, it's really helpful just, just to take five minutes even and pull over the side of your life for that day and say, what am I thinking? Try to, try to write down, what are the key phrases? What are the ideas? What am I thinking? Is it true? Is it not true? So number one, whatever is true. Number two, whatever is noble. What does that mean? The idea is what good can I do right now that will stand the test of time? That's something that's noble. That's a noble deed. You know, the word noble describes something that is, is bigger, really, than the moment. It is unchangeable. It's, it's outside of the moment and outside of time, really. So in science, a noble gas, for example, is one that is not affected by other gases. It endures. It, it's unchangeable. It, it remains the same over time. To be of noble birth, for example, means that you are born into a family with a long and distinguished heritage that will probably go on long after you and your generation have been a part of that family. The idea is that, that, that your life, as significant as it is, is just part of something much bigger than you. You're of noble birth. And so a noble deed is an act that will last for eternity. Every single day, we have the chance to send shockwaves into eternity for good. And there are two basic ways we can do that. We we can obey God because God himself stands not only in time but outside of time and because he has given us a soul that is eternal. Whenever we decide to bow our wills to him and do what he says, that's a noble deed. Everything else that's done in this life will one day be gone, but that will endure. And whenever we serve people, that's a noble deed. Because other people like us have been created in the image of God. They have a soul too. And whenever we serve them, whenever we are real benefit and help to them, <laughs> that echoes in their life and in all of eternity. So what if we, we took some time to think about what can I do today to obey God? What can I do today to serve other people? It might take a little thought to do it, but those would be great thoughts. So whatever is noble, we need to think about that. And then number three, whatever is right. What's the next right thing for me to do? This one deals primarily if you find yourself in 
kind of a complex situation. Maybe the emotions are swirling or the decision that you've got to make is really complex and you're trying to figure out what to do. What we tend to do is we tend to make consequence-based decisions. What I mean by that is we try to imagine all of the consequences that might happen if we do this or if we do that or if we do this or if the person does that. And so we keep running scenarios of what's going to happen to us based on different things we do. And if it looks like it's going to be a negative thing, we all might say, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to try to pick the safest course forward. The problem with that kind of thinking, consequence-based decision-making, is it takes a lot of time to run through all the possible scenarios. And there's so many different variables in life. We're constantly trying to analyze and think through what's going to happen if I do this and what's going to happen if I do that and, oh, no, if I do this and what if they do that. And, And our mind just gets consumed at these points and we get stuck in this moment. You see, God has given us one responsibility, and that is to do the next right thing and trust him with the outcome, trust him with the consequences, and then do the next right thing, and then do the next right thing. That's something that we can focus on. There's a lot of pressure to imagine all the potential scenarios and then try to pick which one will actually occur. And the truth is, often the way life unfolds is the thing that we didn't even imagine is what actually happens. So we've wasted so much time at the, at the decision point agonizing over how, what, what should we do now instead of saying, well, are there some principles out of God's word given in my situation that give me direction about the next right thing I can do? Let me just do that. Never mind how this person's going to react. Never mind what the kind of, I'm just going to do the next right thing and then the next right thing and then the next right thing. So now we can stop trying to be perfect. You know, every decision in the future isn't going to be perfect. But, okay, if we made a mistake, now we can do the next right thing. And we can stop trying to control the outcome, which we have absolutely no control over. The only thing we control is our own decisions. And instead, we can work on making progress. This, this is such a freeing thing for our mind. To just think about what is right. Now, what's going to happen to me, but what is right? Number four, whatever is pure. What is it that's going to clean up my mind. It's going to help me think about pure things and not impure thoughts. Most people pay absolutely no attention to what they're exposed to in a given day. They listen to whatever happens to be on the radio. They sing in their cars at the top of their lungs lyrics that they would never have even imagined writing. They watch whatever's on TV. They engage in whatever gossip is floating around the groups that they're a part of. And over time, Our minds just get plugged up with just all kinds of yuck, just ugh thoughts. And it really, really drags us down. Last week, my wife and I watched the the new Mad Max movie. It's um, nominated for an Academy Award, so we thought, well, let's take a look at it. I, um, it was a mistake for me. For a full week, every time I'd close my eyes at night, I would see a grotesque image from that movie. I mean, there were a lot of like, <gasps> kind of images in that movie. And so every time I closed my eyes, I'd be, there's the next one. Now it's going to take me a little longer to go to sleep and try to get another image in my mind. Now, am I saying that we, you can't, you know, no one should watch Mad Max? No, that, that's, that's your call. But actually, that's the wrong question. The wrong question is, well, can't I watch Mad Max? That's not the right question. The question is not what's allowed, but what will the effect be on your mind? That's the question. So often, 
we try to figure out, okay, well, where are the lines? You know, what, what is, what is, has God drawn a line on the movies I can watch? And let me get just right up to the edge of that ugh line. I want to, I mean, as close to the filth as I can. Now that, do you do that with your drinking water? <laughs> you know, I want to know where the legal limits are, and I want to drink the dirtiest water I can on this side of that legal limit. No. You want, you know, no, I prefer the purer water, right? Why? Well, because what I drink goes into my body and affects my health. Well, why would we treat our mind differently? You know, I, I, I want to get as close to the yuck as I possibly can. So that when I go to sleep at night, I'm just like, oh, oh, that's a good plan. That, that, that's not the approach. What, whatever is pure. What I've found is verses in Scripture are the most helpful cleaning agents of all for the mind. This is why I encourage you to memorize verses. Oftentimes, at the end of a message, I'll say, hey, I would encourage you to memorize this verse. It's not just for, for your health. It's for your mental health. What I've noticed personally is as, I, as I've learned and memorized verses over time, they, they kind of serve like uh, the same purpose as carrying hand sanitizer with you. Now, if you carry hand sanitizer to the day, through the day, one of the things you're saying is, I know there's germs out there. And just because I took a shower this morning doesn't mean there's not yuck in the world in the form of germs. And so there's going to be situations where maybe I, I can't find a restroom and I just you know, need to put some hand sanitizer on. I've just shook hands with someone who's now coughing, so I'm going to put the hand sanitizer on. That's yeah, a good decision to make throughout the day. Memorizing verses are just like that. You may spend time in God's Word in the morning, and I highly recommend that you do to purify your mind and get things set in the right direction. But then you walk into your day, and this person says that to you, and you watch this, and this thing happens, and before you know it, oh, you got to pull out the hand sanitizer. Just take a moment, remember a verse. Purify your mind. Whatever is pure. Number five, whatever is lovely. The question here is, what lifts my perspective? This is the impact that, that beauty really has on us, that loveliness has on it. It, it, it kind of lifts our minds beyond the swirl of whatever's happening. Wh- whenever we're in a, a pressure moment or, or a challenge moment, it's so easy for us to just, just get locked in the, the details of whatever is swirling around us. And what we need is we need to be able to handle those problems, but to, and oftentimes to be able to handle those, we, we need to get a bigger perspective. We need to kind of resize our problem. It, it may feel like our world is coming to an end, but no, this is just a problem today. And, and, and we need to get some elevation, maybe 500 or 1,000 or a 5,000-foot view over, oh, so here's, here's what's going on in my whole life, and here's how this fits into this, and oh, okay, so there's no reason to panic. God has been at work, and he will be at work. And I can see my problem now in a larger perspective. This is the impact that beauty has on us. It just kind of ah, lifts our minds. It resizes our problems. That's because beauty is transcendent. In other words, it's, it's bigger than any of us. And whenever we look at, at true beauty, it, it just elevates our minds beyond whatever we're struggling with at that point in time. Last week, my wife and I spent an afternoon at the beach, listening to the waves, sitting in the sun, and just I mean, and talking. And just being there helped kind of lift our, our spirits, lift our perspective beyond whatever the issue was that we were trying to figure out. That's what God's beauty does. I had the same thing happen to me on Thursday. I was 
on Pandora, I've got a, a hymn station that I like to listen to every once in a while. Just some beautiful renditions of some of the old classic hymns. And I was listening to one of those, and it was like the words and the music, and it was just like, oh, this is great. It just oh, lifted my brain above <laughs> the appointment and what, you know, whatever I'm dealing with. It's transcendent. You see, beauty is the one link that we all have to God. It's the one thing about God that nobody can shake. You know, people can turn away from God by ignoring him, by denying him, or inventing lies about him, but nobody can turn away from his beauty. Everybody that sees a beautiful sunset is captivated. They may not even believe that God had anything to do with it, but they can't deny the beauty that he created. And their hearts are drawn to him. It, God's beauty can melt the hardest of hearts and lift the darkest of thoughts. But the problem is we, we don't spend enough time thinking about and seeing and spending time with the things that are beautiful, that are lovely. And then number six, whatever is admirable. What that word literally means is what, it, what is positive and not negative. What is constructive and not critical? What is it that is something to admire and not something to criticize? What's admirable? You know, the vast majority of our thoughts about ourselves and people in this world are negative. I don't know the percentages, but my guess would be in the 90s, in the 90s usually. It's almost all negative. I mean, the news is about all of the worst things that happen today. It's always that way. In fact, I turned on the news last night just to make sure they hadn't changed the format before I spoke this morning, and they haven't. I mean, in five minutes, I heard about three people at a KKK rally that were stabbed. It's like, really? There's a KK rally, and they stabbed, and ugh, and then two people that were shot. And then I heard about this poor policewoman who was just sworn in Friday and then was shot in the line of duty this, this weekend. And by the time it was five minutes, I was like, oh. I mean, it's real, but it's sad stuff. And that's what the news does. They scour the world for us every 24 hours and bring us the very worst of human nature and the very worst that has possibly happened. And that's news. It's all negative. Why, why do they do that? Why not the, why not the five most in, in positive things? I mean, every once in a while, they'll throw you a positive bone, almost like they realize, okay, we've been bumming you out the whole time. Let me throw you a positive bone. We, we don't do this very often, but here's a good story. Why don't they lead with that? Whenever you hear breaking news, there's always, oh, what amazing thing is happening? No, it's like, okay, who's dead now? Where's the shooting going on? I mean, it's, it's just, why do they do that? Well, it's because that's what we want. That's our nature. It's to be negative. Politici politicians, you know, politics is always about how horrible the other candidates are, right? I mean, this particular round is just, Really weird. I mean, it is. It's like third graders. No, you're horrible. No, you're worse. You're a jerk. No, you're a bigger jerk. Like, really? These are adults that are saying this to each other and tweeting these things to each other. I mean, it's just, it really is astounding. But I remember every political cycle that, I, cycle that I've been a part of, it always starts with some candidate who has decided, or maybe a handful of candidates who decide, you know what, I'm not going to stoop to the negative of politics. And everyone goes, yeah. And then what happens to their polling numbers? 
And they realize, look, if I'm going to be elected, I got to get down and dirty with everybody else. And they start throwing the slop. Or if they never do throw the slop, they never get elected. Why? We want to hear the negative. That's just the way we are. You know, this Thursday, I noticed that there's a 90% chance of sun this Thursday. What, what's it called? Is it called 90% chance of sun? No. There's a 10% chance of rain. It's like, really? I mean, we know that in Southern California, it's like, yeah, pretty much no way is it going to rain. But still, it's reported as a 10% chance of rain, not a 90% chance of sun. Negative thoughts. And this, this, is, this is sad but true about us. Negative thoughts are strangely comforting to us. We like them. Now, no one will admit it, but we, we hang out with them so much because mm, they're like a blanket to us. It feels good to nurse a grudge. It feels good to soak in response to disappointment. It feels good to complain to our friends about our lives and about other people. It just oh, feels good. Why does it feel good to be so negative? Well, I think the main reason is because it makes us victims. And the main advantage of being a victim is you can stay lazy. You know, if you're a victim, you don't have to do squat. You just sit there and, oh, life happens to you, and then this happens to you, and then they said this. And, and you, you don't have to do anything about it. You just sit there and wrap yourself in your miserable little negative blanket. But what happens when you take the victim approach to life and when you stay lazy and don't do anything? Does life get better? No, it gets worse. The reason is we're not victims. We were created by God to be agents of change. Agents of change that, that have the God-given power to initiate change. Now, let me be clear. We can't control the outcomes of life. We're not on the other spectrum. We're not complete victims where it's like, well, everything. But we're, we're not in charge of everything either. But we always have the power and the responsibility to initiate change. We serve a God who can do far more than, than we can imagine. Just because things are this way right now doesn't mean we have to accept it. We can initiate change. And with God's help, amazing things can happen. Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that we should not be honest about the hard things that are going on in our life. I mean, there may be, you may be at a point in time right now where there really are some negative things that are happening in your life. I'm not saying that you shouldn't tell anybody about that because, well, that's negative. No, we, we need to be honest appropriately with a few people. But what I am saying is that, that if there is something bad going on in our life, there is something negative that's happening, don't stop by just reporting the negative things that are happening. Don't stop just thinking about the negative things that are happening. Go, go ahead and, and remember how God has been faithful in bad situations in the past. And then start imagining, I wonder what, he might, what good he might do out of this hard thing now. Don't, don't stop with the negative. Switch it over to the positive. This is, this is really a challenge for us to do because we, we just continually get dragged down to the negative. We're in a world of negative thoughts. We're drawn to negative thoughts. And one of the most effective ways that I found to, to flip the switch from negative to positive is to be grateful. I don't know of anything that switches my mind quicker than trying to think about things to be grateful for. It really is like a light switch. It just goes from the dark to the bright, just like that. 
So I would encourage you, a great place to start is to make a gratitude list. I mean, start with a general list. Just, just try to come up with 10 items that you really are grateful for. Not that you should be grateful for, but that you are, in fact, grateful for and have reason to be grateful for. And then I want to make it a, a further challenge on this gratitude thing. I would challenge you, if there's something really negative going on in your life, I would challenge you to make a gratitude list that's focused on that negative thing right there. Sometimes we make grateful lists, and there's this horrible thing going on in our life, and we're like, oh, I'm grateful that um, the nuclear holocaust didn't start today, and I'm grateful that the sun shone, and, you know, we're, but we're leaving this negative thing over here. I, I would encourage us to, to tackle this thing and say, okay, what about this situation right here am I grateful for? That's going to take some thinking. It's a little bigger switch to throw, but it's a powerful switch. Let me give you an example. Let, let's say that your marriage is struggling right now, and you're really upset with your husband or your wife. I know from experience, I know this. Your mind is flooded with cascading thoughts of all of the complaints that you have against them and all of the hurts that they've caused you. And if anyone were to ask you, you would go on for some period of time about all of the negative things that are going on in your relationship. And they wouldn't necessarily be lies. You don't need to think about that list. You've got that one in the front of your brain. But it's easy to get stuck there. But what if you just took some time to write down five ways that your spouse has been a blessing from God to your life? What if you did that? Now, honestly, you're going to sit there for a while going, I can't think of any. <laughs> think harder. Think harder. There are ways. There's a reason you married them, and there's blessing that God has brought to your life through them. What are they? Just think of five. That, that, that would shift. That would flip the switch from negative to positive. That would really shift your thought. And let me take another look. What, what if you actually told them those five? What if you sat down and told them how they've been a blessing to your life? That might just shift your entire relationship. This is the power of gratitude because it, it gets us to move from the negative victim stuff to what we really have been given, to the positive. Now, if you're looking for a quick summary test to use on what you're thinking, here it is. The verses go on. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You notice there's kind of a bracket around those two. And that's because the language shifts at this point. This is not a continuation of the list. This is a, a different way to summarize the six we've just talked about. Because the focus shifts from your private thoughts to how your thoughts would sound in public. You know, in public, if, if you're going to speak in public, you're going to want to say only what's excellent and praiseworthy. I'm speaking in public right now. I've worked diligently on what I was going to say today. There's a lot of sentences I crossed off. Because I don't want to stand up here and, and, and say things that really aren't excellent. Or things that you're going to walk away saying, ouch, that was kind of awful. No, if you're in public, you want to say what's excellent and what people go, oh, that's really helpful, thank you. That's the nature of speaking in public. So the idea is this. If there was a speaker attached to your brain, just like there's a speaker attached to my mouth right now, and every single thing that you were thinking was being broadcast, which thoughts would you <gasps> cringe at as soon as you began to see other people hear them? Which ones would you run back to the soundboard and say, could we cut the feed? <laughs> Those thoughts are the ones that need to be replaced with these thoughts. 
kind of a general way of looking. W would you want these thoughts broadcast? How, how would it sound in public right now? So let's get very practical then. Begin by starting to think about what you're thinking about. Start there. Just pause throughout the day, especially when the red light goes off and you're struggling with some kind of emotion, anger, sadness, whatever it is, anxiety, and try to summarize, the, what am I thinking? Try to summarize the key phrases. Then I would encourage you to pick one of the six thoughts that we've just gone over from this verse, six thoughts on this list, and develop a thought exercise for it. In other words, if, if I want to think about what's lovely, what would be some things that I could do? Some places I could go, some images that I could, I could look at that are, are lovely and appropriate. What, what, what could I do? Or how am I going to think about what's true in this? I mean, just, just make up some exercises that go with this. Now, I want you to notice this, this is not a list of thoughts that you should stop thinking. God didn't inspire Paul to say, stop thinking this, stop thinking this, stop thinking this, stop thinking this. No, they're all things to, to start thinking. It's a list of what you should be thinking. And the reason is because you can't just stop thinking a wrong thought. You have to replace it with a right one. This is the way our lives work. We often try to stop sinning or stop thinking the wrong thought, but the only way that happens, it's got to be a one-to-one -one exchange. We've got to start doing the right thing, and that pushes out the wrong thing, whether it's a thought or behavior. So we've got to start replacing those thoughts with these thoughts. Those who experience more peace and joy, like Paul, don't necessarily have more to be joyful about, like Paul. They just think differently. Now, that, that's a powerful idea. That's true. If someone like Paul, and if you could see the, the kind of prison that he was in, you'd be astounded, astounded at all of the joy he talks about. He's, he's thinking very differently than most people sitting in prison. So here are some next steps as we wrap up today. These are on the bottom of your connection or your listing guide, the back of your connection card. Very quickly, three. Pick a thought exercise. Pick one of these six. As I've been going through it, my guess is if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, there's been a thought where it's like, ooh, I need to do that. Start there. Pick one of these six. Pick an exercise, a thought exercise. Pick a time to exercise. Put it in your calendar. Put a reminder on your phone to do that exercise throughout the week. And then if you really want to take it to another level, pick a, pick a workout partner. Tell somebody else. You know, for me, all of the physical exercise, all of the efforts that I've tried to do personally, all by myself, have never lasted. Whenever I've invited someone else to be a part of this and there's some accountability to it, those ones last. So I would encourage you to pick a thought exercise, pick a time to exercise, and then pick a workout partner. One last thing before I close in prayer. I wanted just to highlight or mention this uh, Easter insert for you. Uh, Easter is coming up in four weeks, and this is for you to use to invite uh, individuals to uh, join us here on Easter. So it's got our service times on the front, uh, information on the back. So there's, uh, each of you have one of these in your program. We have a bunch more on the tables as you leave, so grab as many as you think you can use and invite neighbors, invite family, friends, anyone that God puts in your path uh, over the next four weeks. Pray about it and then begin inviting so you can use these for that purpose. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we thank you for how helpful your word is.
over and over again, I'm, ju- I'm just astounded, astounded rather, at how, how accurate your word is, how it deals with what we really struggle with. And it's clear that you know us because you've made us. We thank you for the words of Paul and the instructions that it gives us. And we just we recognize that our thoughts are all over the place many times. We just we refuse to put the leash on, and they're like junkyard dogs just running everywhere and sniffing every thought that's out there. And then we get lives that are, well, they're really challenging, more so than they have to be. So we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd speak to us specifically about the particular area of thoughts you want us to start with and how to begin to do this do this on a daily basis. We really need your help. We thank you for the instruction of your word. Help us do this now. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.